Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good morning to you as we welcome you along to Tuesday's edition of Cork Today with John Paul and Sadie taking your calls 1850-333-103 text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 We welcome your calls uh, throughout uh, this morning and it is sometime this morning we're expecting that the government's plan which is going to take us up to at least April of next uh, year on living with COVID we're told it contains a five-tier system with different counties will be placed with different restrictions and it will be based on the prevalence of the virus. We're keeping a close eye on what's coming out of Dublin and we have a feed uh, through that we will be able to go to the Taoiseach hopefully live if it happens while we're on air this morning. So stick with us. You won't miss exactly what is going to be announced. And of course, it is next Monday that pubs are expected to to open but all of the papers today and all of the media reports so far this morning there are so many leaks around this report are now saying that pubs that do not serve food in Dublin will not be opening next Monday and of course that's around the mounting concern about the coronavirus infections in the capital the so-called wet pubs everywhere else around the country will be able to serve customers for the first time in six months and they'll be able to do it from next Monday. There's still a question mark as to whether the pubs in Limerick will open or not but certainly it's not looking like they're going to open in Dublin next Monday. There are serious concerns about the spread of the virus in Dublin over recent weeks and the government is today going to enforce the the National Public Health Emergency Team NEFIT's recommendations asking that the wet pubs in Dublin do not open next Monday and the Cabinet is expected to sign off on that decision this morning. Restrictions on the number of people permitted to visit a household also going to be introduced in uh, Dublin. However, the county will not move into level three restrictions and level three will be under the government's new plan for living with COVID-19 and if they moved into level three, that would basically mean a partial lockdown of the county. So they're not going to go as far as that. Instead, Dubliners will be given another week to reduce the spread of the coronavirus before any further restrictions are implemented and you get slightly exasperated and you wonder how many more chances are the government going to give 
to the good people of Dublin because they certainly haven't been heeding the words of advice so far. And we know that the lockdowns in Kildare, Leash and Offaly, while they were a very bitter pill for the people of those three counties to swallow, but they did. They went with it. The businesses all closed down and we know that it worked and we know that the numbers were reduced in those counties. So we know it will work for Dublin and we know behind closed doors, Neffet certainly have been calling for more restrictions to be in place in Dublin for whatever reason. Another chance is going to be given to uh, the Dubliners, but it doesn't look like the pubs will reopen next Monday, which I imagine when that news breaks today is going to cause fury amongst the vintners in the greater Dublin area who have been planning and getting ready and were hopeful that they would open their doors along the rest of the country next uh, Monday. Now up to from today, once this plan gets announced of living with uh, COVID, up to 10 different criteria will be used by the public health officials to determine whether a county should be subjected to more stringent COVID-19 restrictions. Under the government's new plan for living with the virus, NEFIT will take a number of factors into account. Now, it will include the number of new cases over seven and over 14 days. They'll be closely looking at those for every different county and region of the country. And based on that, they then will make recommendations on new restrictions for a region of the country. Neffert will examine the capacity of a county to maintain outbreaks in any at-risk settings. I mean, things like nursing homes are among very vulnerable uh, groups, people like the homeless or people that are living in direct provision. And then a county's capacity to handle testing of new cases, that will also have to be considered. And then nationally, the number of deaths and the resilience of the health service to deal with the surging cases will all be factored into any decision to taken on restrictions uh, going uh, forward. Yesterday, the Thornish Leo Varadkar said the situation in Dublin was worrying. He says, and I quote, we have seen a situation where the incident of the virus was as low, this was in Dublin, as five or six per 100,000 over 14 days. And that figure is now at 80 per 100,000. Depending on how you counted, he said that's a 10 or a 20 fold increase in the instant of the virus and that's just in the space of a few weeks and while there has not yet resulted in a dramatic increase in people in hospitals or in ICUs or deaths he says the truth is it's probably going to head that way if we don't get on top of it he said we 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 watch what's happening in other countries particularly in a city like Madrid in Spain and he said we simply do not want to go there. Uh, so certainly Leo Varadkar, who his own constituency is in Dublin, he's saying how worrying it is and that something needs to be done. And then for the rest of us, if you have children headed back to school. I mean, the big push was to get children back to school and we've done that and we, it, we appear we have done it successfully. There has been some outbreaks of COVID-19 in schools, but everything that's been put in place today and the new plan that we're going to hear about and all the different levels and what what will close down, the big thing is to keep the schools open. The big push has always been and continues to be to keep the schools open. But of course, we know we are going to get outbreaks and we know we are going to get children diagnosed with COVID-19. It seems now if you if a family has a child who gets diagnosed with COVID-19 and the child can't self-isolate, then it seems 
the family will have to restrict their movement for 14, or not for 14 days, for 17 days under the new uh, guidance. It would mean that neither of the parents would be able to go to work for 17 uh, days in the guidance. And I imagine everybody, any sibling in the household, everyone would have to remain indoors and limit all of their movements for 17 days. The guidance is coming from the Health Protection Surveillance Centre and they're recognising that young children with the virus, it would be absolutely impossible for a young child to be able to self-isolate, obviously because of their age. So they say if a child with COVID-19 can't be isolated at home and there is an ongoing exposure risk, household contact should restrict movement for 17 days. And I don't know quite why 17 days has come into the fray, but that's what they're saying from um, for families. Now, the 17 days will be from the onset of the child's symptoms are from the date that a child tests positive if the child was asymptomatic. The guidance obviously is going to leave parents with another headache if a child does catch the virus. If a child obviously is sent forward for a test, the whole household has to restrict their movements until the result is known. But there is there's no real change on that. But I think for working parents, they are going to find that particular new measure really, really difficult. And I suppose doing they will try to do everything they can to make sure that none of their children does test positive with COVID-19 are they everyone will have to restrict their movements for uh, 17 days because there has been a bit of good news on people having to uh, self-isolate this is people who've been diagnosed with COVID-19 Yesterday it was announced people who've been diagnosed can now self-isolate for a reduced period of time. This came out from Neffet. Neffet has decided to reduce the period of isolation from 14 days to 10 days. Now this is for confirmed cases. That's from the onset of the symptoms and that's based on advice received from the expert advisory group following a review of the evidence it seems. Once you get diagnosed up to now people have been doing the self-isolation for 14 days but once your your fever has uh, abated then after 10 days you will be allowed either to return to work and go back to normal life so I think and you know for uh, for the vast majority of people who get COVID-19, vast majority of people don't get very sick and I know I've spoken with people both on this programme and privately with COVID-19 who've said that probably the last four or five days of the isolation was the toughest because all of their symptoms were gone, they were feeling fine and they were just itching to either get back to work or get back on with a normal life so I think that's going to be welcomed by a a lot of people. And the COVID-19 figures for yesterday uh, another high day 208 yesterday Today, just over half were confirmed for Dublin, 105. And then the remainder, there was 18 in Louth, 12 in Donegal, 10 in Meath, 9 in Kildare, 8 in Waterford. And unfortunately, we had 7 here in uh, Cork and 6 in both Limerick and Wexford. And the other 24 then were divided between a number of uh, counties. So we still very low numbers here in Cork. But there was a, a couple of days last week where I was celebrating the fact we didn't have any positive case in the Cork area or at the most we might have had one or two but the one that surprised me the most yesterday was hearing 12 in Donegal because Donegal uh, would be you know like I said here in Cork very low numbers of COVID-19 cases but then it seems the reason for the high figure in Donegal has got to be attributed to one particular cluster it seems it's one it's a Mexican restaurant 
It's Burrito Loco. It's in Donegal. And it actually closed last Thursday. As They initially closed as a precaution after a relative of a staff member tested positive for the virus. Most of the staff, it's at the Letterkenny restaurant, showed mild symptoms or none at all. But the owners then confirmed that nine employees have since tested positive. Now, the owners themselves are absolutely baffled by what has happened. Well, not quite baffled, but I suppose... Uh, they're shocked by what has happened within their own restaurant. The owners revealed that once they'd received word of a positive case of COVID-19, they called in all the staff. Now, they have a very young staff working with them, but they called them in last Friday morning, took all of their uh, temperatures. Every one of their temperatures proved to be normal, but all of the staff members then were told, look, contact your GP, seek further ad, uh, advice. Then obviously their GPs, because they've been in close contact with somebody, decided to send them all on for uh, testing. The owner said we managed to get 90% of the staff tested within two hours on Friday morning and the remainder all got tested uh, the following day. The owners said they believe the initial outbreak came from a staff member who complained of feeling a little bit run down, didn't display any COVID symptoms, didn't have a cough, didn't have a high temperature, was just feeling a bit whacked, a bit run down, a bit tired, probably felt they were overdoing it uh, a, a little bit. Four days later, two other staff members had symptoms of a head cold, one had a blocked nose, another had a few aches and pains, nothing again that would point to COVID-19 symptoms. The staff themselves all felt, look, this is a little bit of a head cold, it'll be gone a day or, a day or two, they, they, you know, will be fine. And then he said three days later they closed when they got a positive case from one of the staff members. And then it said it took eight days in total for the virus to spread through uh, the staff. And then they were quite shocked and taken aback when nine members of the staff tested uh, positive. But they did the right thing in that as soon as they heard and realised that a member of staff had tested positive, the first thing they did was close the restaurant sent all of the staff for testing even though they were you know I'd say if they were gambling people they would have said that they were predicting that the staff would come back uh, COVID neg- negative results so they were quite shocked uh, to discover that nine of their staff members uh, proving uh, COVID positive so that would explain the spike in Donegal 1850 333 103 John Paul and Sadie continue to take your calls this morning you can text her WhatsApp 086 to 103 103 and I know we've had a call in to say that there was repair or there are repairs ongoing to a burst water main and it's affecting supply to Dunamore and the surrounding areas until about five o'clock today. Uh, you know the way we often talk about the way young people have been affected by COVID-19 and you know young people bemoan the fact that they've missed out on so much because of COVID-19 they leaving cert class of uh, 2020 didn't get to have their leaving cert they didn't get to have graduation they didn't get to have debs uh, young people haven't been able to go away on holidays all of the big concerts have had to be cancelled this uh, this year the things like electric picnic rites of passage for many young people have been taken away from them and there is a level of huge sympathy for young people And we often talk about COVID-19. It's like it's the war for this generation. I mean, if you look at previous uh, generations, the last generation had to go through the Second World War. Generation before that had to go through the First World War. And and I often think when we talk about young people and what they're missing out on and, and it being the war of their generation, 
I think about what previous young people had to go through. I mean, in the First World War, we put a big pair of boots on them and, and sent young people into the trenches. And those boys, they were boys. They, in many cases, they weren't even men. And then in the Second World War, you know, they took to the battleships, they took to the skies. And that was really brought home to me today. There's a story doing most of the papers and some of them coming with gorgeous photographs that have been colourised. I love when they take an old black and white photograph and bring it to life through colour. And it's a story about an Irish gentleman by the name of Captain John Hemingway who happens to be 101 years uh, young and he uh, and the reason that he's been he's been spoken about today he's alive and well and uh, living in, in a nursing home I think somewhere in, in Dublin but anyway the reason he's been spoken about in the paper today today is the 80th anniversary of the defining moment of the Battle of Britain and Captain John Hemingway who was born in Dublin in 1916 is the last surviving officer from the Battle of uh, Britain. And uh, he, what's more remarkable that the man has made it to his 101st birthday uh, was and that he's around to celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Britain uh, today is that he was shot down four times during the Second World War, including twice in one month, and he managed to uh, survive. But he's been interviewed about the, you know, the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Britain, and and he was asked about how he and his other officers coped with the loss of their comrades. You know, he would so many of those young men never came back, and he would have watched and seen so many of his friends die. And he said, "We were incredibly young." He said, "Most of us were less less than twenty year twenty three." Uh, so much was happening. It was just a matter of taking each day at a time, each one no more important than any others. He said, others write history. We were doing our job. And you just think what that generation of young people had to go to. Anyway, he's pictured in all of the papers today and he's he's described as being, he's one, he's of that generation where he is an utter gentleman and his manners are just impeccable and seemingly the nursing home where he is where he's living now all of the staff there absolutely adore him and they speak about his excellent manners and they call him a gentleman in the sense of being a gentle man uh, as well and as lovely pictures of him looking hale and hearty I have to say at 101 but there was a generation of young men and women uh, who really went through uh, went through the horrors of what it was like to live through a war and that's not taking in any way from what young people are going through today but it's just a very different reality 1850 333 103 John Paul and Sadie takes your calls you can text to WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Current travel restrictions as a result of COVID-19 are stifling Cork airports. That's according to Cork North Central Fianna Fáil, Dáil Deputy Patrick O'Sullivan, uh, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Patrick. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Were you at the Cork Airport crisis briefing for local TDs and senators yesterday? Yeah, there was a couple of briefings for our members of the Oireachtas with um, the head of Ryanair and the head of Cork Airport. With Dave. Um, so yesterday they were giving us kind of an outline of where the industry is at and I suppose the concerns that they have regarding, you know, tracing, returning of flights um, and the phasing in or phasing out maybe of, of, of future restrictions. So I suppose it was quite a sobering meeting. Do they paint a very worrying picture? 
Yeah, well, the reality is, I suppose, of Cork Airport as a regional airport is, you know, a lot of its traffic is dependent on United Kingdom, obviously. And I think, you know, Ryanair itself and its flights coming in and out of Cork, 54% of its travel is related to UK travel. Um, so obviously Ryanair are quite concerned with, you know, um, I suppose when we do publish this green list um, or this traffic light system later today that the Cabinet are, are supposed to be discussing, um, they would have concerns that, you know, if the UK would be featuring on that list, um, you know, so as I said, they're, they're heavily reliant on, on the UK traffic. So that's something that in particular that Ryanair are concerned about. But, but they do, but, 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 but apologies for interrupting you, Ryanair do want the government to adopt that European Commission's traffic light system as opposed to the green list that we have at the moment. Isn't that the case? Yeah, and without wanting to predict what the Cabinet are going to publish later, my understanding is that they are uh, discussing that traffic light system. Um, you know, there's been numerous calls over the last few months from people in the industry and from other people in, in political parties that, you know, that, that a similar system like like is in place in the European Union would be adopted here. Um, so that that is being discussed by Cabinet today and I suppose announcement uh, will be due later this afternoon on that. What would the loss to the area of, if Cork Airport was to close, what do you believe the loss to the area would be like? Well, I suppose it's not just even from, you know, a leisure point of view, you know, there's many people reliant on it from a business point of view and, you know, I know people in my own community who would be heavily reliant on it, particularly going to and back from London, um, you know, so it will be a big blow. Um, I suppose the, the difficulty we have is once airlines or once, you know, partners in the industry move a base or move a route, you know, it can be quite difficult to get it back. We've learned that over the years, you know, with various flights to and from Cork to the United States that, you know, routes don't just, you know, they're not very easily replaceable and they can take considerable amount of time, work and considerable expense as well to get routes back. So, um, you know, when something is lost, it's not necessarily the case that it's going to come back, you know, uh, straight away afterwards either, you know, post-COVID, we'd say. So it's quite concerning to the region. You know, people are heavily reliant on it, as I said, for work and obviously for leisure. What do you believe your own government need to do, particularly to save jobs at Cork Airport, Pork? Well, I suppose the first thing is the traffic light system that we have mentioned. And I suppose there has been a bit of confusion about, you know, um, in the beginning, anyway, there was about essential travel and, you know, green didn't necessarily mean go. It was for essential purposes only. And from what my understanding is that the new traffic light system, green will mean go and, you know, red will mean under no circumstances should you travel. Um, and there'll be different degrees in between. So I think that that traffic light system might make it a bit more transparent and easily communicated to people um, what is and what isn't acceptable. But also the government, I think... Um, needs to implement uh, the recommendations of the Aviation Task Force that Minister Eamon Ryan instigated back in June. Um, so th- th- there's a few asks under or a few recommendations in, from that report and, and I suppose there's a couple there that, that the government should consider and I suppose the most obvious one is that the regional airports such as Cork, Shannon, Knock, um, essentially they should be getting some kind of a, a bailout uh, to you, for want of another phrase, um, to, to keep keep jobs in those regional airports, I suppose other companies such as Lufthansa and KLM and Air France are essentially, you know, bankrupt at this stage, and their governments have essentially, you know, given them a different between bailouts and between loans and low interest loans, that type of thing. And I think that needs to be implemented as quickly as possible to ensure the survival of those regional airports in particular. Well, um, I saw that the management. Um 
from Cork Airport yesterday called for Cork Airport to be added to the Regional Airport Capital Funding Programme for 2020-2024. Is Cork Airport not part of that Regional Airport? At the moment, no, but that was one of the asks of Neil McCarthy there as the Managing Director of, of the airport and I suppose it's something myself and Race Minehan and James O'Connor uh, you know, were attempting to raise on the Dáil floor this, this week. We've we put in for time on what's called a topical issue so we're hoping to raise that matter at that time. Um, so I think it's something that needs to be given strong consideration given Cork Airport's importance here to, to the South region. Some people though, Porik, are worried about opening up travel both to and from this country. Do you accept that it's hard to strike a balance during a well, pandemic? Ba- ba- balance is the, the key word there, Patricia. Like I suppose any areas that are under strong influence of, of COVID at the minute, you know, India now, for example, wouldn't be necessarily a safe country to travel to or from or to take people from. Um, you know, that, that I suppose is the whole purpose of the, the traffic light system that, you know, it would be obvious, it would be transparent for people what is and what isn't acceptable. So I, I think that, you know, the government, as I said, later today will make an announcement, you know, their, their new policy will be called Living with COVID. And I think we're entering a new phase of the pandemic where, you know, and I know it's often said that it was easy enough to close down. It's a lot more difficult to open up and it will be progressive. People, you know, it will be difficult for people. Um, but ultimately, the vast majority of other sectors, be it schools, be it pubs now in more recent times, an awful lot of these sectors are beginning to get indications of what the future holds for them. And I think ultimately we will come to tackle the issue of, of air travel as well in that respect. All right, and we know we're, we're waiting the new roadmap on living with COVID, which is going to be published. Uh, we're hoping for uh, this morning before actually the programme wraps up, but it's to be published uh, today. This is important, isn't it, that people know this is the plan for the next six months. Well, it is. I, like I, I, I was listening to me uh, uh, an interview that Michal Martin Taoiseach gave recently, and I suppose it is about a roadmap for the future. It is quite difficult going from week to week, and you know, trying to modify plans and to change different aspects of it. Now, I suppose that's important to, to to be able to do that in the event of you know rising cases in Dublin or previously in Kildare in the Midlands. But I suppose the roadmap that is going to be published later today is is more of a medium term, um, you know, position of where we're at, and what and how things will look, you know, going forward into the middle of next year. The important thing just about the airline industry as well, though, is I suppose one of the asks was that you know regular testing would be would be done as well in terms of, um, I think the e, the target under EASA, um, European Avi- Aviation. Institute targets are that 250 people per 100,000 would be tested and Ireland has demonstrated the capacity to deliver those types of numbers, you know, albeit we have never hit you know, the 100,000 a week capacity mm. that we allegedly have we have been able to turn out 60, 70,000 tests a week at peak times so like if you were to take you know, um, 250 tests per 100,000 people, that re- would represent somewhere between 15 and 20% of our overall testing capacity um, so it is something that we've demonstrated that we can do in terms of air air travel and facilitating that. Um, so again, that was one of the asks that was made by, by Ryanair and by uh, Cork Airport Management yesterday. And do you want testing at the airports? I suppose that, that, that is different from what, what even the airlines themselves asked. But of, of course, if Nessus was to advise that tracing at airports and, ter- and temperature checks were the optimum and the way to go, then obviously that's something the government would have to consider. Okay, all right. And as I say, we await to see, uh, even though there's been so much leaked uh, of the living with the COVID plan, are you expecting any surprises or do we have all the information? Has it all been leaked at this stage, Porik? 
Um, like all aspects of, of political <laughs> life, I, I don't believe everything that's leaked in the paper. Do you not? Uh, okay. 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 We'll wait and see. So okay. Well, what's your what's your gut instinct? Do you think the Dublin pubs will or will not open next Monday? I'd be honest, Patricia. If I was to answer it, I'd only be giving you a gut, a, a, a gut response. I actually, we have no knowledge of what, what, what's been debated at cabinet. To be fair, and there's strict, obviously, you know, confidentiality at cabinet. But um, if I was to guess, a hazard a guess, I would imagine that there might be some restrictions still in place for pubs. Yeah, in do, the you t- do you think so. they should remain closed, particularly looking at the rising numbers in Dublin? Well, I like from the outset of this virus. Um, like my wife's actually a medical scientist in CUH, so from the outset of this virus, um, I suppose we would have been quite cautious about our own personal opinions on on the virus and in terms of lockdowns and in terms of opening up. And we often debate it here at home, but um, I, I'm always governed by the numbers. And you know, if numbers and the trajectory is going the wrong way, then I think some measures have to be taken to curtail that. So. If Dublin hits a saturation point where NEFIT decide that <clears throat> it would be advisable to keep pubs restricted or closed, then you know, I would be supportive of the public health advice on that. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's certainly I can see a lot of texts coming in on, on it this morning. It's exactly the same way our listeners are feeling. Uh, Porrick, we leave it there. Listen, thank you for that and, th- and thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thanks, Trisha, thank Good you. morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Deputy Porrick O'Sullivan, uh, Cork North Central, 1850-333-103 and what looks like the worrying, worrying future for Cork airport and none of us, I think none of us uh, would like to see that lose the airport. We all know how important it has been in the past. We might be travelling anywhere at the moment but we all know one day when this is all behind us and and people are ready to travel we know we will want to have our airport on our doorstep. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 103 103. And a listener by text says when attending Mass are we expected to give a contact number and name a number for contact tracing and it's signed a concerned carer. I haven't heard of contact tracing going on at any church service probably because they're doing the very strict social distancing and we know the capacity inside in churches has been severely limited and there's spaces and various benches are marked off. You can't sit there. We've got stewards inside in, in churches. So I haven't heard of contact tracing going on are anyone being asked for a name and a number? But I'll get John Paul uh, to check in with uh, some of the local churches just to see have they been asked. But as far as I know, they haven't been asked. But leave it with us and, and we'll check it out for you. And I can see when you sign it a concerned uh, carer, I, you know, I, I can see where you're coming from and how nervous and anxious you are of going anywhere where there's other people where you're fearful of picking up COVID-19. So leave it with us and we'll check in with some of the local parishes or the diocese to see has contact tracing been mentioned for any of our church services. Now to a completely different issue, the construction of hundreds of homes in Middleton is being held up because Irish Water hasn't given a commitment on a start date for the significant upgrade of the capacity of the sewage plant in the town. Raising the issue, Fianna Fáil Councillor Anne-Marie Ahern. Good morning to you, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Patricia. How you're, are you? I'm very well. You're welcome to the programme. How many Thank houses you. actually have planning permission in the area but now simply can't be built because of this situation? So at the moment, we'd have in and around 500 houses that are zoned and have received planning permission but cannot proceed because the infrastructure with Irish water hasn't been upgraded. Isn't um, that a bizarre yeah. situation to find yourselves in? Yeah, oh, I mean, it's. I think it's disgraceful in this day and age that we have a simple treatment plant 
that isn't sufficient for a town the size of Middleton. It's it's frightening the lack of progress from Irish Water in a resolving the issue and b progressing forward with it. Is it true that one developer is actually considering using septic tanks instead? Yeah, yeah, that's what um, I was contacted by one developer who has planning permission to build a scheme of houses, cannot go ahead because Irish Water are refusing to allow him to connect on to the main sewer system. So he has actually gone about looking at putting in a septic tank and using tankers to pump out the septic tank on a regular basis to actually just enable the scheme to go ahead. Um, like, I mean, no, no developer should have to look into that in today's day and age when facility, facilities should be in place um, once planning permission was granted. And I imagine it'll add additional costs to the oh, overall, huge, overall building uh, of the houses. A huge amount of cost, but a knock-on effect then that um, with any developer or with any mortgage institution, would they be willing to give a mortgage to somebody that connected onto a septic tank? Yeah, system? yeah, it's a good point. It's, it's a good you point. Know? And while there are planning permissions that have been granted, mm-hmm. am I right in thinking that other planning permissions are being refused because of this oh. issue? There was, there was actually one refused back in 2019 in a development in Maple Woods in Ballinacora where Onboard Planola refused the planning to go ahead and the development, um, the further development of the scheme to go ahead because the capacity of the wastewater treatment facility in Middleton wasn't, wouldn't be able to hold the, the scheme in its plant. So the East Cork Municipal District, um, around 12 months ago, prior to me being on it, since I was co-opted in February, actually gave permission on a part eight for Irish Warship to go ahead and upgrade it. Since then, um, since I came on board in February, I've been looking for reports from Irish Water as to what is the delay, where is the progress, at what stage in the process are they at looking at upgrading the infrastructure, putting it in place, and no reply, no word. It's just hitting a brick wall with progress from Irish Water. I can see somebody saying that this is a bizarre story, hard to fathom at a time when we need new houses so badly. And only last night there was a, a primetime programme just showing how badly yeah. we need uh, new houses. It's, it is it is hard to fathom, isn't it? Oh, it's, I mean, it's, if you sat anywhere and said, we have a town, a metropolitan town the size of Middleton, we cannot progress on. And like what brings it to light again further is we're now at the starting stage of our next development plan. And how are we going to look at zoning more houses when we don't have our, more land, when we don't have a commitment from Irish Water still about when this is all happening? So, like, and my issue and what I raised, um, my motion on this was, it's stopping an awful lot of things from happening. Construction, which will bring jobs to the area, um, infrastructure, and homes for people, where there is such an outcry of people looking for homes, houses, both private, social, rental. We're stopping this from going ahead. Well, we're not, but Irish Water is stopping this from going ahead because they won't give us a commitment on when they're actually going to start the upgrading. OK, and, and what are they? T- what What is Irish Water telling you? Are, I mean, are they giving you any sort of a time frame for an upgrade of the storage plant? Nothing. We've received nothing. The municipal district have not received anything back yet from Irish Water when it will be starting. A couple of dates have been branded about of 2023 before connections Whoa. can be made. 2023? Yes. yes. 
that's what one now nothing of that is in writing yeah it's just being branded about by people that look it's looking at 2023 it could be 2024 um so you're looking at we're only still only in 2020 we're still looking at three to four years so that we'd still be at a standstill before any any connections can be made or progress can be made so a developer could go ahead and start to build but cannot provide the facilities to the property they won't take the risk they won't the, take no, and the, the danger then is developers will just give up on Middleton and they'll move to another area elsewhere. absolutely and we'll never have any forward progress on this Patricia it's like what I've called for now and what um, thankfully um, my fellow councillors supported me on was that we could get a representative from Irish Water down yeah. to meet with us yeah. and actually sit and explain to us what is the delay and what is their plan going forward how are we actually going to progress this on Where's what's the next step what can we assist them in progressing it forward? What can be done? Because, like, to leave it at a standstill and no progression is just, it's not acceptable anymore. Do you believe it's a financial issue on the part of Irish Water? I, I couldn't answer that because we're actually getting no reply. If they wrote back and said, we're doing a budgeting or we're, look, it's a lack of um, workers to do it or we're waiting for part, at least we'd have some bit of light as to what the actual issue is with not going ahead but we have nothing so if anyone rang me today any constituent rang me today and asked me or any of the developers that want to go ahead with their building rang me and asked me what's the delay I just have to look at them and say I don't know I actually don't know I can't answer that for you because we haven't been told and And then I think the uh, lack of communication is shocking and then I'm thinking of families and in particular probably young couples who want to buy and, you know, their forever home and who want to live in Middleton. Yeah. I mean, it just must be soul destroying for them because yeah. th- there isn't a lot of properties available for sale. You know, people who want to buy a new house, they see these developments perfect for them. And then to be told, well, sorry, we haven't a clue when they're going to be built because we can't connect it to the sewage system. Yeah, we don't know. And I think um, COVID brought a lot of light to people that they need to be in areas um, where schools are very accessible, where their jobs would be Wi-Fi. Like down in East Cork, there's a good few areas that wouldn't be great for Wi-Fi. And I found that more people want to relocate within the area. So to more hubs like Middleton Town Centre or around Middleton Town Centre as opposed to being very rural. And they can't make that next step either. So it's the knock-on effect of this in- the lack of this infrastructure is just frightening, Patricia, in today's day and age. I can see a couple of texters in kind of the same theme saying, here we go again, another problem with Irish water. Uh, Irish water, the control of Irish water should go back under the local authority whenever there's a discussion about Irish water. I have yep. to say that point is uh, always made. So f- for now, Anne-Marie, as a councillor and as uh, collectively as a council, you're just trying to put pressure on Irish Water t- just to move quickly on this and get the work done. Oh, yeah. Like I think yesterday we needed answers. Not today, not tomorrow. Answers need to be put forward yesterday on how we're dealing with it today. I, we can't accept silence from Irish Water anymore. And I have to agree with that texter. Irish Water at this stage is not working. It's not. It should be handed back to a local authority because at least we can then go to that that local authority stand in front of a representative and say, I have an issue in our area. This is the issue. What's happening? Whereas right now, you drink Irish water and 
your aunt to a voicemail or someone will ring you back or we follow up and a week later you're still ringing them saying nobody's contacted me back and you just you're shut down at every avenue with Irish Water and I think it's at a stage now where they need to be held accountable for what they're doing they need to be held accountable for stopping people um, being able to buy their own homes it's so, it's and so unfair. providing jobs yeah, it's, like uh, it's, it's so it's so unfair who people who, who and if anyone watched that program last night, I mean to see you know people living in cramped conditions, it's just it's just not acceptable in 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 twenty twenty. It really isn't. No, All right, not. okay. And particularly when the land is there, we have developers ready to build, wanting to build, and in the thankfully in the position to go ahead and build, provide jobs, provide a lot for the community. Just, it's not acceptable, Patricia. Okay. Listen, we'll keep in contact with you on this one, Anne-Marie, in the meantime. Thank you for that. Brilliant. And thanks, Thank thanks for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is Councillor Anne-Marie Hearn on that issue in the Middleton area. Really shocking. 1850 Just had a call in that there is a breakdown on the bridge in Mallow by the Park Road. And that's obviously causing delays. A breakdown on the bridge in Mallow by the Park Road. Court today. Court today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Your thoughts and comments coming into the programme on Dublin and should there be a further restrictions put on the good people of Dublin. Someone says it's scary that all the pubs are going to open next Monday. It's bad enough that we already have some open that are serving food. When would the government wake up, says this texter? I believe all of those places should remain closed. When people get to drink in them, they do not behave themselves. Oh my God, I was actually praying that they all would remain closed. We've got places all over the city and county that are selling drink without food. It's the first Holy Communion masses and ceremonies that are more important along with the schools. Some of the schools certainly are doing well so far. I know we're only a few weeks into it that there has been very few cases of COVID-19 and those that have been identified, it's been dealt with and handled and schools have remained open. And on the first Holy Communion masses, a lot of them are are going ahead. We were only yesterday playing a request for a group who had First Holy Communion Masses last weekend and I know the way the First Holy Communion Masses held is slightly different in that the other family members can't attend and there's a lot of grannies and granddads have been very upset that they haven't been able to attend at the ceremony but that's the way it is unfortunately at the moment. At morning says another text or all the big worry is if the pubs in Dublin don't open what's going but what is going to be in place to stop Dublin people travelling to other counties for a night I think travel restrictions should be put on the good people of Dublin to stop them travelling outside of the county for a night out. It's absolutely crazy. And it doesn't look at this stage. Um, You know, we wait to see what comes out of the new roadmap of living with uh, COVID-19. And also, you know, because we'll be hearing about the various different levels of restrictions. And certainly if you went to, say, level four or five, you would be limited in any particular county. You would be limited that you would have to restrict your movements and stay within your county they would like that we did uh, during lockdown remember initially we could only travel two kilometres from where we lived then it went to five and then it went to you couldn't travel outside of your county now if they put Dublin in Dublin city and county into complete lockdown that would happen you'd only be able to travel out for essential purposes or people travelling in for work etc but they're not talking about doing that at the moment again we're hearing that the people of Dublin are giving further chances to try to stop the spread of COVID-19 but it's looking like if
the numbers continue to rise in Dublin and every single day we're hearing that over 50-60% of the daily total are all in the greater Dublin area. I think if those numbers continue then I think for that listener I think your wish will come true. I think they will put restrictions on uh, people in Dublin and they won't be allowed to to travel outside of their area but as of now they certainly are allowed to travel and definitely when I was away on my staycation a couple of weeks ago that's the one thing I noticed Every, everywhere I went there was lots and lots of people getting, you know left Dublin to have their staycation they came well out of Dublin and they were both in West Cork and I met a lot of Dublin people you could hear the Dublin accents uh, certainly when we were in Galway a few weeks ago uh, as well but you know the people in Dublin have a right to their holidays uh, as well but that listener feels that they should be just staying in Dublin and not uh, moving and then a lot of commentary on Irish water when we were discussing Irish Water in the last hour with with Councillor Anne-Marie Hearn talking about the problems. It's really, really very frustrating for the people of Middleton. There's developers there with planning permission to build hundreds of homes. There are people that want to buy those homes and the developer can't go ahead because the sewerage system the capacity of the sewage system isn't up to to scratch. It's been like that for quite some years and Irish Water, they're just not giving even a date to the local councillors or to the developers. Even if they had a date, then at least you could do some kind of planning and people would know, well, I have another two years to wait and then I would be able to buy a house or able to move into a house in that area. John in Clonakilty says, some of the parties agreed to Irish Water being set up day one. Councillors today are members of those SEMSAID said parties that set up Irish Water we need to give control of water back to the local authorities says John Inclanakilty and when I was speaking with Councillor Anne-Marie Ahern a number of other people actually were making that very same uh, point Kevin says but Irish Water didn't forget to give themselves bonuses though did they if it does go back to a financial issue which I expect that if we could get Irish Water to talk to the councillors that's what they would probably uh, say but here's a story that sums up just how difficult it is for people waiting on those houses to be built. Alison in Wilton listened to my interview with Councillor Anne-Marie Ahern and Alison said, myself and my partner, we're currently renting in the Wilton area, but we're looking to buy. We've missed out on a number of bids on houses in the Carrick Tuhill area. And then we started looking to the Middleton area. Again, we've been outbid on houses. We're desperately looking for homes to buy. We're looking at this area of Cork, of Cork as it's close to the city and close to Little Island. I'm assuming there's work commitments there. To hear this news this morning is so disheartening for, for us. We have mortgage approval. We have our savings. So they have the deposit ready to go. But we can't, can't purchase a house mainly due to the demand. So so frustrating to hear that this morning. Yeah, and it was one of the points that I did make when I was speaking with Anne-Marie Hearn. I was thinking of young families and, you know, and couples exactly like Alison and her partner all ready to go and nothing that they can do. Hands are tied and yet the developers are there wanting to build them. And one developer, I think there's planning for 500 homes. You know, that would go a long way for Alison and her partner to be able to buy their forever home in, and particularly when it's, you know, it's in the area that she wants to live. Uh, it really is sad. 1850-333-103 and the DAA, this is on Cork Airport when we were discussing Cork Airport today on the programme. The Dublin Airport Authority and obviously Cork Airport comes under the control of the Dublin Airport Authority has uh, first loyalty to its own hub i.e. Dublin Cork Airport has always been unfairly treated continuously 
and so many people would agree with you on that and it was one of the things actually that the, the management of Cork Airport actually came out and said when they were holding their press briefings and talking with all of the they had all of the local TDs and senators in yesterday trying to drum up a bit of support for the future of the airport but one of the things that the management at the airport called for was for Cork Airport to be added to the regional airport capital funding programme. The other airports like um, Shannon and uh, Knock, they're all under the regional airport and the one in, in Kerry, but Cork isn't because as that listener has pointed out, Cork is under the control of the Dublin Airport Authority which a lot of people scratched their heads and pondered on why it came under the control of the Dublin Airport Authority because, you know, Ray on, uh, is right. Of course the Dublin Airport Authority are going to look after themselves first and it's almost like we here in Cork at the airport were like the runt of the litter. I think there is certainly that feeling a- about it. Thank you for that, Ray. 1850 at 333103. Somebody wondering what time uh, is the Living with COVID plan going to be launched? We are expecting it to be announced at around half past uh, 11. Now, we're hearing it could be later. They're not not the best timekeepers in the world, I have to say. How often have we sat around TVs waiting for whoever was the Taoiseach of the day to come out and speak to the nation and we could be waiting a half an hour. Uh, So we're expecting it to be about half past uh, 11. We know the press conference will take place at Dublin Castle with the Taoiseach Meryl Martin, the Thornish, the Leo Varadkar, Health Minister Stephen Donnelly is going to be there and the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan. But all we do know is that the Cabinet meeting has finished. That finished at about half past ten. That Cabinet meeting was important because that was the Cabinet meeting where they were going to sign off on this, the new roadmap for living with uh, COVID. Uh, so we wait. It's expected to be about half past eleven. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103 103 C103 Jobs Experienced bar staff wanted for work 20 to 30 hours per week and that's in the Mallow area while a hairdresser is required for work on Fridays and Saturdays it's in the Blarney area Experienced construction labourers are wanted that's for a new housing site in Kinsale and a store person is wanted for immediate start in McCroom forklift driving uh, will be required. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now the anti-poverty agency Social Justice Ireland has said the National Economic Plan must deliver fair recovery for all. Otherwise, government will repeat mistakes of the past and many will be left behind. The Director of Social Justice uh, Ireland is Father Sean Healy, who joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome uh, to the programme. And apologies if we've to drop you in the middle to go live. I understand. There are things that are more important. There's nothing more important than your good self, sir, but we may just have to go live to Dublin Castle to see what the Taoiseach has to say. Now, the the National Economic Plan will be published on uh, Budget Day. Are you fearful that this could be one of our toughest budgets ever? Not really. Uh, what I'm hoping is that the government takes our advice and advice of others as well, that what they should do is basically deal with the COVID expenditure separately. So COVID is going to cost us about $30 billion this year, maybe the same next year. What we're suggesting is that for this budget and the coming two budgets, that basically Ireland should take that, that amount of money that we have to borrow to deal with COVID-related issues and warehouse that uh, in, in, in 
Brussels basically do it across all of Europe, get all of the countries in Europe, all, every country in Europe is in the same space. So get all of that together and basically do a very long-term loan at a low interest rate and warehouse it there and um, pay it off over the next 40, 50 years. But in, and then deal with the budget in a straightforward way um, without actually including that in it. So act as almost as if we're not paying anything out on COVID and we're looking at a fresh balance sheet. But the, the issue is that we have to be careful that we don't act as if there's nothing because in actual fact, uh, in the last 20 years, uh, if we were just to continue what we were doing then, we'd only be increasing inequality, not dealing with poverty, r- widening the urban-rural gap, and so on. And what we need to be able to do is to sort of take a, take a new approach. And what we're saying is, like, there needs to be a new social contract between government and citizens. At the moment, um, you know, there's, there's a social contract all the time that, gov- that basically citizens decide to do, to pay tax and to keep the law and to do various other things in return for which government delivers on a particular, uh, in a particular way, on a particular situation, if you like, okay? Yeah. Is that your other phone ringing there? Uh, no, no, that's just, that's, don't worry about it. Uh, okay. Um, and what happens is... is uh, and that's how the social contract works. That's the social contract. And why do, you say a new, a why, do you say, why do you say a new one? Because the, 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 after 10 years of boom in the, in the Celtic Tiger and 10 years of very, very remarkable economic recovery after the bank crash, um, what we have is a very good economy, one of the best in the world, but we have... 680,000 people in poverty. We have huge waiting lists on social housing. We have uh, a serious homelessness problem. We have 200,000 kids in, in, in poverty, living in households in poverty. We have 100,000 plus people uh, with jobs uh, who are actually living in households with poverty. You know, like there, there's a, 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 and there's a huge urban-rural divide and we don't have healthcare at the level we want it. We don't have education at the level we want it. We don't have public transport at the level we want it. Like, so there's, there's a serious disconnect. What we need is a new social contract and that new social contract should basically be aimed at doing five things building a society that has a vibrant economy um, and but and that that everybody will agree with i mean because we need we need a good economy we need to, be, to do various things that we need to get the economy going well and so on but it's not just the economy that we have to do decent services as well healthcare education childcare those kinds of things and and we also have to do decent infrastructure uh, things like public transport like social housing like rural broadband so, because if we don't put those services and infrastructure into place, we won't have a vibrant economy. Mm. But that's okay then. You can't just talk about that without talking about taxation as well. And we need to have just taxation. And we're, what we're talking about is not increasing income tax, but broadening the tax base to include a, a fairer contribution from the corporate sector and so on. And then you have to have good governance to make sure that because people will need to, if they're going to go with this, they need to trust the governance and in, and they have to be fully informed. And that means involving all the sectors of society in the decision-making processes. And finally, the, 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 the initiatives, all of this has to be done on a sustainable basis, not just sustainable for the environment, that's critically important, sustainable for climate and so on, but we must also be sustainable economically. That what we do economically is sustainable in the long run and not going from boom to bust to boom to bust, which is yeah, where we've we been yeah, going. And that's where, you, that's where we talk about making the mistakes of uh, the, the past. Best. And I think the one thing during COVID-19, Father Sean, that was really highlighted and an issue I've discussed with you, the amount of people in this country are in low-paid jobs. I mean, 
the amount of people who were better off on the COVID-19 payment of €350 at the time we went into lockdown was shocking. It was shocking, absolutely. And when you look at it, one of the surprises that people think is, is a big surprise is that during all of COVID, income tax receipts nearly reached what they were supposed to reach without COVID. Yeah. And what that's basically saying is that that's the top 60% of the society doing well, but the bottom 40% is in trouble because they obviously aren't in a space uh, where their their tax receipts matter at all. Okay, because why? Because their income is so low. And we have, like we have done, we've prided ourselves on building the economy, but we've also said, uh, and the last government and the second last government were very strong about this, how effective they were at creating jobs for everybody, and we were getting unemployment down under 5%. But look at the jobs we've created. So many of those jobs are low pay, they're part-time, they're, they're precarious. Zero um, contract hours. All that sort of stuff. Because it's something you've mentioned and have been banging on about it for I don't know how many years, mm-hmm. about looking for the minimum wage to increase to a living wage. That is correct. And basically there's two euro a week between the living wage and the, and the, and the, the minimum wage. The minimum wage is the legally enforceable uh, minimum wage that government has. But if you were to get a wage that would, if you had a full, way day, a full week's work, would get you out of poverty and give you the essentials, you need two euro an hour more than the minimum wage. And that's the problem. An awful lot of people, while they might be on exactly the minimum wage, they're not very far above it. They're certainly not two euro an hour above it and as a result they're stuck in low pay and they're stuck in this kind of working poor situation and very interestingly people always go on about you know if you pay too much or if you you know people if they get a chance at all they won't work where in actual fact Irish people show over and over again that they're more than willing to work that they want to take up positions if the positions are available and they show that by taking below poverty rate jobs in actual fact and they they pay they take them in hundreds of thousands literally yeah but, 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 I, but I know and I'm waiting for businesses to contact us and say all very good but we can't afford to pay those kind of wages and if that's the case then there's an issue that has to be dealt with like at the moment under the COVID thing it seems to me that it would be more sensible for governments to do the top up that's required to get it up to that uh, and keep the job rather than letting the job go completely and have somebody uh, somebody go to, uh, to have to go and claim welfare and so on. Uh, I think there's an issue about having a more balanced uh, society, a more balanced economy, because we need a vibrant economy, absolutely, but we need fair pay rates, we need uh, decent services, we need good in, uh, infrastructure, we need we need the social housing, we need the health, the education, uh, the, the rural broadband, the public transport, the kinds of things that are essential and what, uh, for, for a decent society. And that these would be taken as given across uh, our Western European neighbours, if you like, uh, in the European Union. But like, and, and Irish people go there on holidays and non-COVID years, mm. and they and they, they they see a different kind of world, and it, part of that involves a slightly higher tax take overall uh, in 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 those societies, corporate corporate situation, corporate sectors making more fairer fairer contributions, but at the same time, uh, it means that that what if we're to get there, we have to do all this stuff simultaneously. For the last 20 plus years, we've made mistakes by simply saying we'll get the economy right and everything else will follow. Mm. Or we, we'll, that we'll hasn't happened. Right. Exactly. 
and yeah. it, or we'll do, get the economy right and we'll do the rest of it then. You don't, in actual so, fact. That's so, so with this um, w- with this plan that you're putting forward, you're saying it is possible to do it? Absolutely possible to do it. Not alone that, it can be paid for. And I think it would get huge support in Ireland because after COVID, people are more much more aware of things maybe that they weren't aware of before. You, you mentioned yourself the low pay issue, yeah. the amount of people in low pay. People are very aware that a lot of the people that a few months ago we were proclaiming as heroes are people on very low-paid jobs, an awful lot of them driving vans and doing retail and all, all sorts of other situations. They're not all high-powered medical consultants like or highly-paid um, medical consultants. The consultants were heroes as well and did a lot of good work. But the point I'm making is an awful lot of people were in jobs that were low-paid and are not were not kind of recognised as being important uh, pre-COVID. And I think people see it now. And I think most also COVID says to people, we need a more balanced kind of life. And anybody watching uh, the news these days sees uh, California with thousands of acres hundreds of thousands of acres burdened to shells and villages completely wiped out, you know, California, Oregon, Washington State on the West Coast of the United States. And that's just another uh, sort of example of the kind of climate change that we're engaged, that we're experiencing, and that we have to adjust if we're to have any kind of decent life into the future. And that's the issue. Okay, and how, Father Sean, how do you feel this government, any the previous government, have handled COVID-19 from an economic point of view? I I think they they did the right thing. I mean, one of the things I was terrified about at the beginning of the whole process was that they might go and do what they did after the banking crisis. They did not listen to us after the banking crisis. And instead, what they did was they cut back on everything and they... There was huge, hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs that didn't have to lose them if the government had had a sensible approach then. They were getting advised by all across the board, uh, both in Ireland and abroad, that that was the wrong thing to do. You should have to cut back and you have to cut back and you have to cut back. Nowadays, that's what they did. Nowadays, uh, people begin to realise uh, not just people, uh, all sorts of economists and all the, the major uh, and analysts in the world agree that that was the wrong approach. So the government did the right approach. And I think they're, they're trying desperately to find the balance between sort of economic development and healthcare and minding public health. And I think it's very, very important to find the balance and to keep the balance and struggle. And it's going to be a struggle. We, we're not going to get it. And we're not going to get it all the time. I, I like this idea maybe of having a, that they're coming up with of a five, a kind of a, a five-level uh, plan. plan, exactly, yeah. that says, that, OK, we're at level two or level three or whatever, and people understand where that's going. Um, and I think people have to be sensible. I think most people are. There, there's some people who are very well resourced to kick up an awful shindy in the public arena because they're resourced to do that, and they have PR companies working out there for them. And, and so they're on. strong lobbies. And they're very strong yeah. lobbies. But the reality is the vast majority of people have been hugely positive in their response. They have... Take, they have done what they were was asked of them, and very interestingly, it's kind of a mini social contract, because the government basically said, "Look, we need you to to sort of isolate, and we need you to 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 sort of lock down, and the things that they said from the beginning, and that they're still saying." And for the most part, Irish people are doing it, and they're doing it on the understanding that government then provides for the people who are, lose their jobs, or the 
people who are struggling in one form or another. And what the government, I suppose, is trying to do is work that out. But I think that's an interesting way of having a social... It's a kind of a mini social contract that's just looking at the health issue. Yeah, it's true. And I, and I think older people in particular were, were outstanding, in particularly with what they were asked to do during Absolutely. the early stages. And, and they did it. And they were a, compli- a very compliant generation anyway. And in but, fairness, yeah. they're still doing it. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Absolutely. They're still doing it. Okay, fairness. we'll leave it there. Listen, Father Sean, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Glad and thanks, to be here as thanks, always. Thank you very thanks much. Thanks for joining Thank us. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Father Sean Healy, who is the Director of Social Justice at Ireland, uh, with what they're saying, the new economic plan which will be delivered on uh, Budget Day. Uh, They're saying it needs to be a fair recovery for all. We can only wish that that's what is going to happen. We've had a response from the Cork and Ross Diocese. This is with regard to a listener who contacted us earlier, a concerned carer, and was wondering when attending Mass are we expected to give name and telephone number for contact tracing? And I said it hadn't heard of that happening, but I said we would double check just to make sure. And we are told that when churches reopen for public worship back in early July. The government announced strict guidelines so that this could be done in a very safe way. Contract tracing was not required uh, according to the government restrictions as churches put stewards in place on duty to ensure that strict social distancing is implemented during public worship and that does seem to be working quite well and I know uh, we had some people who were complaining about stewards, they didn't like the idea of stewards in church, telling you where you were sitting but the reason that the stewards are put in place is to make sure that everybody does adhere to social distancing and that people make sure they are two metres and over two metres. Many people are saying churches have been really strict about it and that's to keep everybody apart and by keeping everybody apart while they're inside in the church it's actually keeping them safe and so for that reason you don't need to do uh, you don't have to give a name and a telephone number for contact tracing. Now if you go anywhere else if you go into any restaurant any pub serving food at the moment you will be asked for your name you will be asked for a contact telephone number just one in each group is normal asked and that's because even though all of the pubs and the restaurants are doing their best to keep everybody two metres apart when people go up and walk around the restaurant or go in and out to the toilet for example they can't guarantee that you're always going to be two metres away from people so they need to have a list of everyone that's in their premises on any given day for fear that uh, they'd come out with a COVID-19 case and then they would need to contact trace anyone that was in the establishment at the time but not for churches so for people wondering about that that's why you're not being asked for your name and your telephone number because the church, all of the churches are following very strict guidelines which have been set down from the government and that came in from Cork and Ross. So happy uh, to give that clarity. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 86 Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. And we are waiting for the press briefing. Okay, I can see I'm looking at uh, Dublin Castle. The Taoiseach has arrived along with the Thornish, the Minister for Health and Green Party leader, uh, Eamon Ryan. Uh, let's. Here we go. After six months uh, of this pandemic, I understand how people feel exhausted with thinking about it and coping with its impact. We're not yet able to make COVID-19 a part of our past, but we have a lot more clarity about how we can get to that point. Today I want to talk with you about the direction of our country over the next six months. This is not just about how we will live with the COVID-19 virus, but also 
how we will work to renew social, economic and cultural life. Six months ago, the world was confronted with a dramatic new pandemic, about which we knew little more than the fact that it was de deadly and rapidly spreading. As our schools and workplaces closed, people didn't know what to expect. We all felt fear and uncertainty. Through a collective national and international effort, the virus and its impact were first controlled and then reduced significantly. Ireland, just as other countries did, began a process which intended to reopen activities in stages. But as we moved through the summer and the way It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. From the lockdown period, something became very clear. The threat posed by the virus continued to change, and policies had to change in response. We understand the frustration which people and businesses in particular felt when limits were kept in place or introduced. But without this action, we would have seen even higher levels of infection than we currently have. At the same time, our country has been able to achieve some really important progress. Schools have reopened in one of the most complex policy and logistical challenges they have ever faced. And we're all delighted that our children are back playing in the schoolyards. The economic stimulus package is making a very real difference. We still have a way to go before we fully recover, but just for example, in the last 11 weeks, over 200,000 people have been able to come off the special pandemic payments back into work. Taking account of all COVID-impacted jobs, the unemployment rate has fallen from 23% to 
Most of all, we have been able to reconnect with our families and friends and to once again, again experience our own country. Until there is an effective vaccine and has been widely administered, we must continue to live with the reality that COVID-19 is potentially deadly, causes long-term illness, and we must limit its spread. When the vaccine is available, we will move quickly to implement a widespread vaccination programme. However, I want people to understand that even before then, we can go much further in opening up economic, social and cultural life in our country. We can do this if we work together in implementing the comprehensive plan which we're launching today. This is a plan which gives clarity about each of our responsibilities and how different situations and sectors will be handled. It includes concrete measures which address both well-established and emerging issues. It shows how we can limit the impact of the virus while keeping our schools open, protecting and expanding employment, reopening services and supporting social and cultural activity. This plan truly represents a whole-of-government approach. And I want to thank everyone who has contributed to it, and in particular I want to acknowledge the work of the public health professionals and all frontline staff who have done so much for our country. The plan is broad and comprehensive, but it has three core pillars – protecting health, strengthening employment and supporting communities. Underpinning this is a new approach to the ongoing management of the COVID response and clarity for people about what will happen in different scenarios. Protecting public health remains an absolute priority. The plan sets out the clear public health guidance which we should all follow. We must never forget the fact that the virus is still here and each of us has a personal responsibility to try to limit its spread. This new phase involves the introduction of a new framework for restrictive measures. There will be five levels of response to different levels of threat from the virus. Currently, every country, every county sorry, is at uh, level two restrictions, or collective effort is required to get to level one while we wait for a vaccine to be developed. There will be a heightened uh, system of monitoring and enforcement to guide this rapid and targeted response to outbreaks. And we will move decisively to address the fact that there are other health concerns which must be addressed. The Government has decided today that the existing public health restrictive measures, as amended in line with the new Level 2 framework, will be continued for a further uh, three-week period. The current COVID numbers in Dublin are very worrying, and the Government has also agreed today to introduce additional measures based on the recommendations of NEFIT to suppress the spread. And I would say to the people of Dublin and indeed the country, Rising rates of infection can be reversed by concerted public action and by all of us ad adhering to the guidance and taking this personal responsibility. Today the Government also crucially approved a €600 million Euro winter initiative package to develop and protect our health services through what will be a very uh, significant period of challenges up to next March. This plan shows how we will strengthen also business and employment as we live with COVID. Key business supports will remain in place until March 31st next year.
the pandemic unemployment payment will now be open to new entrants uh, to the end of the year. And a series of local activation measures will be put in place. There have been no restrictions currently on persons coming into the country, as we do need to keep travel routes open in order to stay connected and to keep supply chains open. The Government has decided to broadly support the European Commission proposals on travel as the best way of achieving this. So we will continue to engage with Member States and the Commission to finalise an approach which is consistent with public health requirements while supporting our needs as an island. In the interim, the current Department of Foreign Affairs Travel Advisory Normal Precautions list will be updated in line with this new proposed European framework. The third pillar of the plan is about helping our communities. Local well-being initiatives will be supported. And we all recognise the role of sport in building our sense of community. The government has, allowed, has agreed to allow limited crowds to attend sporting events under specific conditions. During this pandemic, the absence of live arts and culture events has reminded us again how important they are to us as a people. Creativity has never been as important, and we understand the huge impact which has been felt by all who work in the arts sector. This plan allows access to theatre, cinema and music events in small, controlled settings. There is simply no doubt about the negative impact on mental health of this pandemic, and the plan proposes to implement a national ap approach to increase mental health supports. <clears throat> Underpinning the measures in this plan and the new framework for deciding on restrictions will be a revised decision-making procedure. NEFIT will remain as the key body, providing public health advice to government. And I want to say once again how much I value the work of NEFIT and the urgency which they show at all times when seeking to protect the Irish people. In addition, a new group chaired by the Secretary-General of my department will coordinate proposals for acting on public health advice and implementing measures, and permanent coordination between departments will be enhanced. This is a comprehensive and detailed plan for how we will respond to the ongoing threat of COVID, limiting its deadly impact and allowing us to move forward as a country. It puts in place a framework for rapidly managing outbreaks when they occur. It shows how we can restore more of our economic and community life. It sets out our determination to strengthen our country's recovery. During the pandemic, there has been a lot of reflection about our resilience as a country. Because COVID has had many sides, medical, social, economic, and cultural. And it's only human to feel deeply the downsides, the deaths of spouses, relations, friends, many in the harrowing circumstances of being isolated from the, their loved ones at the end of their lives. But it has one great positive side also. It has probed and tested our personal and national character day after day, week after week, over seven long months. But it has found no weak spot, no failure of nerve, no lack of courage, either in our people or in our society. We have overcome much bigger challenges in the past and will also overcome this challenge. Because resilience isn't just about standing strong in the face of a challenge. It's also about knowing what you value 
in order to protect it. It's about being flexible. And it's about working to build back better and stronger than you were before. We have set out a clear plan for the next six months when we will both manage the virus and continue to rebuild key services and supports. Thank you, Thijuk. Six months ago, I first spoke to you about the coronavirus. Since then, we've been through a lot as a country. There have been days of fear as well as days of hope, reasons for optimism as well as days of suffering and loss. Although some of the faces delivering the message may have changed, the essential message remains the same. By doing the right things, we can protect each other. From the beginning, we knew we were in this together. Now we need to know that we can get through this together as well. I know many people are feeling frustrated, impatient, even anxious, and we all want to be able to plan our lives. And so many of our livelihoods depend on having certainty about the future. Unfortunately, nothing is certain about COVID-19. It cares little for our plans. However, we have reasons to be hopeful as a country. We're guided by all we've learned about the virus in the past few months. And we have confidence that we can do this because of what we've learned about each other. We've changed the way we live, the way we work. And today's plan sets out steps to keep the virus under control, how we can anticipate and understand how to live our lives for the next six to nine months. And where setbacks occur, the steps that will be taken to reduce the risk of COVID-19 spreading out of control. So this is a plan to protect you, your family and friends, our community, our jobs and businesses. <coughs> Throughout this pandemic, Irish businesses, large and small, have shown remarkable grit, resolve and adaptability in the face of unprecedented challenges. Business models have changed, premises refitted, staff retrained, people are working from home. And all of us do understand the deep concern that business owners have about the potential of business failure. So economically, our focus is to help businesses to open, stay open, to keep staff on and customers safe. And the government has and will continue to back enterprise and protect workers as best we can. As you know, we're backing business with wage subsidies, targeted tax breaks, cash grants, low-cost loans. And where local restrictions have been put in place, government has responded and will again. OK, we'll jump in there and let, uh, as the Thánaiste, uh, uh, Leo Varadkar continues to outline uh, this new roadmap for living with uh, COVID uh, with the five levels of uh, response and it'll be interesting when we get the more detail as it comes out from the new roadmap because I thought that certainly when Micheál Martin mentioned Dublin I thought he intimated that there certainly is going to be restrictions put in place for Dublin and we wait to see exactly what they are uh, going to be uh, but certainly a little bit of good news in that there will be uh, limited crowds to attend sporting events and I know a lot of people are waiting for the exact detail uh, on that as well as access to theatre, cinema and music events but it will be in smaller numbers and very welcoming news to hear there will be increased supports uh, for uh, mental uh, health all part of the new roadmap for living with COVID. This is Court Today Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103 Court's greatest You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
and we are taking a look at the new roadmap on living with COVID that's just been published. This is what life is going to be like in Ireland for the next six months and I am told we are at level two at the moment and the aim is for all of us to do our best to bring us down to level one. Level one would have us practically living like the way we were before the pandemic arrived. But okay, we're at level two, uh, which means the majority of the economy and society is all, you know, schools have reopened, restaurants, pubs, uh, gyms, uh, etc. They're all uh, open and the priority, as always, is to keep schools and childcare facilities uh, open. Sporting activities can continue. There's still high levels of restrictions, though there are some changes. I'll get to those in a a moment. But everything is to keep people safe. And because of that, we're still being asked to limit the number of people we meet at any one time. Uh, Still no word on a lockdown for Dublin. We're still trying to get clarity as to the wet pub. Somebody is pointing out because this level two and this new roadmap kicks in from midnight and this under level two pubs are allowed to open. But people are saying, does that mean pubs can open tomorrow? Now, John Paul says no, that we're still at the September the 21st. We still don't know what they're doing about Dublin. They are saying that there are going to be more more restrictions. Some are speculating that Dublin will go to level three, which is much higher level of restrictions but that won't happen until next week it's still it looks like they're still giving Dublin people a chance to try to get the numbers down so how where are we all now with level two social and family gatherings we can still have visitors to the house up to uh, six people now this is where it gets interesting because they say you can have six visitors uh, to your home from two other households or three other households it's determined by the prevailing public health advice for the county do we assume that Dublin are going to be limited on the number of people that they can have to their homes. I would take it from that, uh, that that's what they're intimating there. And then for outside of your house, you members of different households can continue to meet socially in other settings of up to six people indoors and 15 uh, outdoors. Weddings, still at 50. There had been a lot of speculation that that would go to 100, but under level two, it stays at 50 people can only attend the wedding ceremony and the uh, reception. Uh, indoor gatherings up to 50 people are permitted uh, and in pods are groups of up to six if appropriate and arrangements have to be put in place that you don't intermingle with the groups I need to get further clarity on that 100 people will be allowed in larger venues but strict two metre social distancing will have to stay in place so that will be the likes of your cinemas and your theatres and your sports stadium uh, as well. Now for the outdoor gatherings up to 100 people are permitted for the majority of venues up to 200 patrons for outdoor stadia where there is a minimum accredited capacity of 5,000. Now, robust measures, they're saying protective measures has to be put in place for social distancing and all of that. But that does mean that people can go back now to start watching matches and that's going to be welcomed by a lot of people. On sports, the training still still is in the pods of 15. That remains in place. Matches and events, up to 100 patrons outdoors and 50 indoors and then up to 200, as we mentioned, for the larger stadia that have a capacity for over 5,000. Uh, gyms will continue religious ceremonies 
with protective measures in place like the social distancing that's already one-way traffic in and out of the church, uh, removal of communal prayer items and 50 worshippers. So it still remains the same for churches, no more than 50. Mourners at funerals is up to 50 mourners can attend. Now that's new because I'm sure that was a 20, wasn't it? So that's there's a change there uh, for people if sadly you lose a loved one. 50 people can now from midnight tonight can attend a funeral. And then under museums and galleries, uh, with protective measures in place, the two metre social distancing, you need to have one way uh, traffic within the venue and the, the, the indoor gatherings that we mentioned earlier. And then bars, cafes and restaurants, which includes hotel restaurants and bars, they can open with protective measures in place, for example, physical distancing, table service only, cleaning regimes and noise control. So that means no loud music can be played and I'm sure the television if they have televisions on which they do traditionally inside in bars if you want to watch a match or whatever they'll have to be uh, turned down still in the restaurants individual groups limited to six people from three households the wet pubs are allowed to open maximum numbers limited to the capacity of the establishment social distancing, table service uh, only. The noise control is the very same. If six people are going to a pub together, they can come from no more than three households. So it's the very, very same as we have for the restaurants and the gastropubs. Nightclubs, discos and casinos all to remain closed. The hotel and accommodation remains the same as does the retailers, the hairdressers, the beauticians and the barbers, all of that. On work, if you can work from home, you're advised to only attend work for essential on-site meetings, inductions and uh, training. No restrictions on domestic travel. That was people saying lock up Dublin and don't let them travel. You can travel anywhere in the country. The schools are remaining open. All of the outdoor playgrounds all open with protective measures in place. Transport, walk or cycle where possible. You must wear face covering on public transport. That's all the same. Public transport still limited to 50%. Peak hours of essential workers and essential purposes only. Those over 70 and the medically vulnerable should exercise judgment regarding the extent to which they engage with uh, others. Long-term residential uh, care, that remains as is. Okay, and that's all on level two. And that's where we're told the country is at the moment. As I say, we're still awake. Uh, Any news on bingo, says uh, Mary. Well, I would take it from that, and this will be up to individual individual organisers of bingos. They're saying on the, I mean, bingo is held indoor. The organised indoor gatherings, you can have up to 100, people permitted for the majority of venues. Now obviously social distancing on that I'm assuming a large bingo hall could easily fit 100 people couldn't they? And once they're all strict two metre seated social distancing, the only other one that might might catch bingo halls is there has to be one way controls for entry and exit so you can't leave the building the same way you go in the very same way that they're doing with restaurants at the moment but certainly I would think bingo would fall in under that but it will be up to as I say the individual bingo hall owner somebody's asking will pubs be able to open tomorrow we're we're getting clarity on that because we know that everything that's been introduced today as part of this new roadmap for living with COVID comes in from midnight tonight but I'm assuming that the pubs remain in place as of 
the 21st which is next Monday but we'll wait we'll see if we can get uh, clarity for that but people again asking why are they not closing down uh, Dublin somebody said what is wrong with the government that they wait for catastrophic Covid to happen instead of being a step ahead they talk about moving on the large numbers of Covid cases for a week before moving on it knowing full well the numbers aren't going to attract without strict restrictions put in place consultations could be held by phone immediately no need for mega meetings and non when the outcome should be obvious to any logical thinking person. Get on with moving on with it, says a texter. And Meg says we might as well open up everything now, Patricia, and go back to the way we were because Meg feels lots and lots of people are already ignoring the advice. 1850-333-103. John says, Patricia, any chance you can ask me, Hall Martin, why in the name of God hasn't Dublin been shut down? They were fairly fast to shut down Kildare, Leash and Offaly. Is it double standards again, I wonder? Is it the case that if COVID spreads out of control in Dublin we must all suffer over the rest of the country. We put a corkman in government to steer this country in the right direction. Uh, we need something done and now we'll wait and see. It looks like from what we can see from that press briefing today, it looks like again they're giving the Dubliners another chance and it will be about another week I imagine uh, before we see uh, anything happen uh, for Dublin and further restrictions and with the way the numbers are going I think you could guarantee the restrictions are going to come into uh, place. And and here's somebody asking um, if anybody can update us on this. Hey, Patricia, what's the story with the autumn stations? A newsletter came in at the weekend from the local priest asking who was willing to take the stations. Mm. Mm. Now, I'm perplexed by that because if you go by this, the guidelines today, and if you were to have an organised gathering in your house, then you would be limited visitors from another household is limited to up to six visitors from three households. So you could have you could have three sets of your neighbours come to visit but surely certainly when I we used to go to the stations uh, back many years ago when I lived in West Cork they were a huge occasion and they certainly had more than three households attending so I'm a bit perplexed as to why the local priest is suggesting that a household would take the stations. We'll see uh, if we can find out anything more about that. Um, uh, and if we, we get it, we will bring it uh, to you. Uh, hi, Trish, says Dan. This is the that press conference, by the way, is still going on. They're taking uh, questions from the press at the moment, but it's impossible for us to continue with it because you can't hear the press questions. And it's really frustrating with the link that we have. You just hear the answers, but you can't hear the questions. So there's long gaps of silence. Dan reckons that Stephen Donnelly said thank you to the, the thank you to the Taoiseach, to Leo Varadkar on the handover. The facts at last says Dan. I'll have to. I didn't hear Stephen. I know Stephen Donnelly was the third to speak, but I didn't hear his handover. Unfortunately, I was speaking to you instead, Dan. So I missed it. I'll check up on that though for you. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. And Anna says, Patricia, thank you for your reassurance and support yesterday regarding my upcoming COVID swab test. And to Annalise for her professional advice. I'm very grateful. We'll let you know about the experience. Oh, thank you, Anna. Please do. That was Anna who was very nervous about getting her COVID test and she's having a medical procedure and as you know if you're having a medical procedure you have to go forward for a COVID test and a lot of people 
get very anxious and nervous because there's been so many stories about the COVID test and how horrendous it is. And I was able to speak yesterday from a personal experience because I had the, the dreaded COVID test and it wasn't as bad. And Anna, I, like you, was more nervous of it. Not, not of the result because I hand on heart didn't think I had COVID-19, but, but it was the whole thought of this swab going down the back of my throat and up my nose and it was over in seconds and it wasn't half as bad as I thought it uh, would be. So the best of luck with it and please do let us know how uh, you get on. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. And best of luck to Anam Cara. Their support group for bereaved parents is returning to their group meetings with safety measures in place. And it's happening this evening at 7.15 in the Munster Arms Hotel in Bandon. Kildare Community Development will hold their weekly lotto draw. That's on Thursday afternoon at four in Kildare Community Office and the jackpot is €2,500. Donnerail Push for Charity are launching the Heart Remembers. It's during their culture evening. Their culture evening is happening this Friday uh, to six o'clock in the Church of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Donnerail. The Heart Remembers is an initiative to remember all those who have died from COVID-19. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And to the listener who texts us about the Autumn Stations, which was in the parish newsletter, and I don't know what parish it comes from, with the local priest inquiring were people willing to take the stations and I was quite taken aback to hear that the stations would be going ahead Mike has contacted us to say where he lives in Kilworth there are no autumn stations this year and another listener says the stations should be banned the priests need to leave people alone it's hard enough to avoid Covid and anyway it's mostly elderly people who have the stations and mostly mostly elderly people who attend them and I just don't know how it can go ahead when you look at the guidance from the government and from Nevis and we're told we're living under level two of the road map for living with COVID and it clearly says on social and family gatherings in your home or even in your garden visitors from one other household only up, you can have up to six visitors and they must come from no more than three households so I just don't know how the stations could actually go ahead we're trying to get clarity on it 1850-333-103 now moving to a completely different topic Photo Wildlife Park in association with University College Cork are asking the general public to look out for ladybirds in their garden or when you're out and about. If you spot one, they're asking you to take a photograph and send it to them. To tell us more about this research project, I'm joined by Jill Wyman. Good morning to you, Jill. Good morning. And you you are welcome. Why do you want to find out about ladybirds? Um, Basically because we really don't know that much about them. Um, we have very, very poor records about where our ladybirds are and what species we have. And in light of that, there is an invasive ladybird called the Harlequin ladybird, which is which is established in Cork City now and is spreading out. And we just need to find out more about them. So it's very, very important for people to, to let us know, you know when they see them. So then that can help to add to the research and our understanding. And are there many different types of species of ladybirds in this country? There are about 18 of the colourful native ones. And then there's the one invasive one, the harlequin. And are we seeing less of them in recent years? Um, I think they tend to go in cycles, if I'm honest. Some years you will see a lot more of them than other years. But um, obviously habitat loss 
um, is one of the key things for some of the ladybirds, you know, because some of them are quite specialist. So, um, I, in general, the, the number of invertebrates are declining anyway. Yeah, which is really birds, sad. Again, we don't really know. Yeah, you know? yeah, and hence the reason to get the general public involved in this. So, where is a good place to look for ladybirds? Because I went out into my garden yesterday when I knew I was going to be going to chat to you, and I couldn't see one single ladybird anywhere. And then I'm wondering, was I looking in the right places? Right, well, you can look in a wide range of places. Basically, the ladybirds will go where the food are, food is. Okay. So you might see them underneath leaves of trees. You might see this one called the kidney spot, which you might find on ash trees on the barks. Um, you might find them underneath let- nettles, hogweeds, you know, anywhere where there are a lot of aphids. But in addition to that, some of them like mildews and molds. So you might see them at the base of some of the plants where there's a lot of mold around. So that's the they're the sort of places I would start with anyway. And are they important to have in our gardens? Well, they are. They're all part of the natural sort of ecosystem. You know, the natural balance of things. So yeah. they eat the ace, the green fly and other types of insects and in turn they're eaten by some types of spiders. And so, you know, they do they do play a role. OK, so if we do spot a ladybird, either in our garden or when we're out for a walk and uh, out and about. You want a good, clear picture, is it? A good, clear picture helps me to identify them properly. Now, they can be red, they can be black, they can be yellow, but everybody knows what the basic shape of a ladybird is. Yeah. So if you're looking for that, that's the key thing. And even if it's not a ladybird, that's fine. Just send me in the photos um, to irishladybirds um, at yahoo.com. And send a picture with the location. The location is very important, you know, so I know exactly where they are. And you're actually having a little bit of a competition running to encourage people to get involved. We are, yes. Photo Wildlife Park have very kindly offered um, a prize of a family pass okay. um, for a day in Photo Wildlife Park. And then there'll be a few other smaller prizes like ladybird books and, you know, identification, you know, how to... And, um, an insect net so you know there'll be sort of there's a, there's a good few prizes there you know to encourage people you know of entering and even if you don't see a ladybird and you go out into your garden it's still important to tell us you know to email us and let us know yeah because you're, you're trying to get a handle on and is this a good time of the year for them or would they be more prevalent in say the hot summer months well you see them at all times of the year i mean this is not this is quite a good time of year is september because they're all sort of eating like mad and trying to fatten up ready for the winter so you you the chances of seeing them around is quite is quite high compared to you know some other times over the year so it's a good time of year okay Alyssa just said that a ladybird landed on her hand last night in Formoy oh it's an awful pity you didn't hear us if it, if it happens again today we need you to take a photograph please and you get it into irishladybirds at yahoo.com and you want them in by the 1st of October isn't it Jill that's right yes OK. Listen, we wish you good luck with it. It'll be interesting. Okay. To, I'll be very interested to see how many, uh, how many ladybirds you do manage to, to find. Uh, and let's hope that all of our native species are doing OK. Listen, Jill, right. thank you for that. Thank you. And thanks for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, Jill Wyman, who is a research uh, scholar on that project with Photo Wildlife Park and University College Cork. So it's Irish Ladybirds at yahoo.com. I would suggest getting the children involved with that as well when they're home from school and when they're out and about at the weekend, if they see. And we all have camera phones. So it's so easy now on our phone to take a quick picture 
send it on to Jill, get the information that she needs, just where you took the photograph. And uh, thank you to that listener in from my only last night at a ladybird on her hand. If it happens again tonight, please take a photograph uh, of it. On COVID-19, Michael says, Patricia, just a very interesting fact that your listeners should listen carefully to. South Korea actually reported its first case of COVID-19 to the World Health Organization the very same day as the United States of America did. South Korea never considered a shutdown of its economy all because the country ramped up testing and contact tracing together with the wearing of masks for everyone. South Korea has had, wait for this, 363 deaths. The United States of America are now nearly at 200,000 deaths and rising. This just proves that testing and contact tracing is absolutely vital and above all the wearing of masks. Someone who did something right at thanking you and yet on the wearing of the masks you will still get people saying and I saw it again at the weekend there was protests in Dublin of people saying it's all rubbish it's all fake news and people not wearing the masks it frustrates the absolute life out of me when I see people who uh, who think that masks don't work. The evidence is there and certainly from the countries who have been very successful. South Korea is one. I mentioned Taiwan uh, yesterday. Uh, countries that traditionally, even before COVID-19, they always wore masks. They wore masks to protect other people in their midst and they've had great, great success in those countries and yet we will still have people in this country thinking that it's all, oh, it's the government uh, trying to get a, trying to a dictatorship somebody said uh, yesterday government trying to control the people by wearing masks. Cop on folks and please wear the masks. I know they can be uncomfortable but you know, keep trialling until you find a mask that works for you. There will be a mask out there and if at the, the very least if the masks don't work and you genuinely for whatever kind of a health reason can't wear it, the visors, I'm spotting a lot Lots of people out and about wearing the visors. They might give you the same protection as the mask does, but certainly they are better than nothing because it is worrying that COVID-19 is now, I was listening to Ronan Glynn talk about this yesterday, now starting to uh, infect more vulnerable older people. 220 pensioners have been diagnosed with COVID-19 in recent weeks. These are the figures up to, it was the two weeks up to last Saturday, 223 people over the age of 65 diagnosed with the virus and that was up from 193 among the same age group for the previous uh, two weeks and we do know that the older people are the most susceptible to complications from the uh, disease. There are now growing fears that the virus is gaining ground again amongst people who because of age and underlying illness have the weakest defences in fighting the attack and the infections among older age groups are also now being detected in small numbers but they're still there in nursing homes and in the community. We really have to protect our older people. John says I agree that Dublin should be locked down. We can't keep the virus at bay with all those Dublin cars driving around. I know somebody who went for a test and also said that it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I'll agree with you. Just be careful though when you're accusing people of driving around in Dublin cars. My husband happens to have a Dublin registered car 
And I know we were getting some funny, funny looks when we were out and about recently. You could see people that kept saying, would you speak loudly so that people know, know that you're not from Dublin? We can't be tarring everyone. We can't be tarring everyone from Dublin as if they have COVID-19. Nor can we tar everyone who's, who's driving around in a Dublin registered car. But there certainly is that fear factor out there now because there were so many cases in Dublin that people are starting to get very nervous if you're near anyone who has a Dublin accent. I actually can understand it. But just be careful when you're saying, look at all the Dublin cars that are out and about it could be your next door neighbour could have been born and raised in Cork and just happens to have bought a car that was originally registered in Dublin 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 0862 103 103 and Joe and joins us on this Tuesday afternoon good afternoon to you Joe good afternoon Patricia and how is the back not bad, um, coming round. Um, yeah, I, I, I had a, I, I, I had a very bad time, but um, I am, I'm, I'm coming round. Good, good. Um, I actually thought about you um, when we did our piece with um, on living with chronic pain and how debilitating it can be when you live with chronic pain. Yes, indeed. You know. Yes, indeed. And I was reading about. Um, the program and the uh, the nomination for the award. Oh, and, thank you um, very much. Congratulations to our concerns. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, yes. you also read this week with uh, great alarm uh, an article from last weekend which pointed out the the increase in the number of children. And this is children who are being de- uh, prescribed antidepressants. Well, no, just to quote um, one uh, paragraph or piece from it. Um. 4,571 children up to the age of 15 were prescribed antidepressants over the 10-year period between 2010 and 2019. Now, um, that was ever before we heard of COVID-19. So, um, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I, you know, wouldn't enter into... Um, uh, any controversy about, um, uh, you know, um, medication versus talk therapy and all of that. Um, And any doctor and every doctor, every doctor that I know is extremely responsible, extremely ethical, and um, wouldn't be inclined to prescribe uh, too easily at all either for depression or anxiety. But that is the startling factual number. So, um, it got me thinking to um, uh, the amount of depression in young people that's out there. I mean, this will be, I hope, um, you know... uh, I wouldn't call it the tip of the iceberg, but I mean, um, the the prescribing for children up to the age of 15 um, uh, on antidepressants, I'm quite sure that uh, most, uh, that, they, that there would be a much bigger number um, uh, doing what we'll call talk 
therapy. Mm. Um, I and get you quite would, a and, lot of, and, um, and I'm assuming with COVID-19 and everything that's been happening in the last six months and it's been a pressure cooker for a lot of people, including children and including young people. Sadly, I think if we are to look at that figure in, I would say, even another six months, that figure, unfortunately, could even go higher. Oh, it's that's an absolute and complete certainty that um, uh, yeah, that 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 figure will be um, what's the word obsolete? Yeah, um, and it will increase in, in, in because even even time. when they when I was listening to Michal Martin. Um, the Taoiseach, we played out his speech this morning on the, the new roadmap for living with COVID-19. Um, I was delighted, I have to say, to hear in one of his opening statements was increased supports for mental health because that's right across society. M- mental health and people battling mental health issues has, has certainly increased. Without doubt. Okay. Without doubt. So, and the thing is that... Um, I would get quite a lot of referrals, we'll say, from GPs for young people, uh, to do with young people. Um, uh, you know, we do a contract with the um, the parent and the child, and uh, you know, part of the contract would be the job wouldn't be running with every tittle-tattle, um, that unless there was something potentially dangerous uh, that the parent absolutely needed to know for the safety of all, that, um, you know, uh, as as I said, that the child would feel and would agree in the room with the parent that, um, that, that unless I think come under that kind of category, that, uh, that I wouldn't be trotting out to the parent with... Um, John said this or Joe said that. And that's to allow the child to gain your trust to be be able to to open open up uh, to you. And that's the big thing. That's the big, big, big thing. Whatever about all the facts and figures there, if a child will talk um, to a person in a deep way about how they're feeling and what their fears are and what their anxieties are, that is absolutely 100% certain to help. Now, I did seven years in um, uh, student counselling in uh, UCC, and uh, I absolutely love working with young people. And uh, I have found that um, uh, so many times the, the child that they're saying, is in his or her room at home, won't talk to anyone, um, uh, has com- become a completely different young person, they will open up with a stranger. They will, when they're in my own office here, with our door closed, and when we talk, they do talk, and they talk at a deep level, and and, and that is... Um, that's great yes. that, that, that that happens. So and to parents listening, uh, Joe, mm. what if they're worried about a child, what, what do you look out for? I mean, what are the signs of depression in a child? Well, you see, um, and even now, um, we'll talk about that in two seconds, but even now, I mean, you have so much more. For example, if a child has the sniffles, if a child has a bit of a cold, do you send them to school? Could this be COVID-19? Um, 
uh, if the child goes to school, is there a fair chance that um, the child will pick up COVID-17? All of that. We never had that before. But adding to that then, what would you look out for? Okay. Right. As a parent, first of all, you'd look out for a lack of motivation or a, a, a dropping of an interest that was there. Now, some of the dropping of interest, um, uh, nobody nobody could uh, do anything about it. I mean, uh, if you were a member of the the local uh, basketball team, um, you, you couldn't go because of the uh, restrictions. That's understood. Another thing that I think parents should and do, I think now, allow would be that those parents who had a kind of a limit on screen time um, would be a little bit more lenient with that because, of course, um, uh, uh, not that they didn't always do it, but now it has become necessary um, for uh, children, uh, teens, uh, to uh, communicate uh, through their um, whatever, phones, etc., because um, uh, uh, up to very recently, in a very big way, they couldn't meet up at all. So, I mean, that a few rules there would need to be uh, kind of uh, relaxed. But if you see where there is, um, you know, somebody described to me recently um, um, a young person who was uh, in her room from dawn to dusk, and wasn't the least bit interested in meeting any of the family, resented it if someone went to the room and could barely be um, uh, persuaded out uh, for meals. That would so, raise alarm bells for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, a child being irritable, being extra, extra tetchy, uh, expressing another kind of a new one now, excessive fear. Like somebody who concentrates every day will say, and uh, they say, oh, my God, uh, 280 new cases today. Oh, my God, uh, 215 new cases today. And then we hear about, um, uh, you know, uh, places that opened and had to subsequently uh, close and that all of that is... Uh, fear-inducing for for a child. So if that's excessive, if it's like if the child is just about tearful in the morning, uh, heading off, well then, um, uh, it would be a good thing that they would talk about the fear that they're feeling. It's not suggesting that the fear is wrong, not for a moment. The fear is genuine, the fear is there, but the fear needs to be talked about. We're back again with anything to do with with young people, uh, Joe, and that's keeping the lines of communication going. Totally. Yeah. Totally. That's the big thing, you know. And um, uh, if, if kids um, are kind of like uh, not being able to make what would seem to be the simplest of decisions, Doing little things that they always did, um, you know, um, almost to the point of not being able to select a bit of television that they might watch for an hour in the evening, 
um, you know, to to note that um, if a child is quite obviously what we'll call down, um, if they're finding little or no enjoyment in life, and almost especially if they're not sleeping well, and if the appetite is as good as gone, and they're not the least bit interested in their food, etc., well then... You'd have, you'd have the, concerns. The, these are signs that a parent should take notice of. Yeah, I and heard a young person once say when they were talking about their own depression that the joy just went out of their lives. Nothing yeah. gave them joy anymore. Yeah. And that was kind of an alarm bell for that young person to go and speak to a parent to say, I need help. The joy has just... Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. And not to feel the least bit kind of slighted if the young person won't talk to the parent or parents, but will talk maybe, maybe to a trusted friend, maybe to an older sibling, or uh, who would accept that, um, that they need to go and talk to, um, uh, to, that they need some professional help. Not to kind of feel, um, you know, a little bit let down that... Um, that they would go and uh, sit down in an office with this guy and talk in a way that they can't get them to do that at home at all. That's that's normal and it's natural and it's no slight on the parent. If one of our own kids uh, needed to talk to someone in the morning, we we would um, you know we'd make a few phone calls and we'd arrange a, an appointment for them uh, with somebody else. But I certainly wouldn't be asking them to come into my office to do the kind of thing that I do with other uh, uh, kids um, their their exact age. I and mean, you would you would say to any parent listening that this is in some way raising alarm bells about a son or daughter in the house at the moment. Your first port of call is your GP. Always, yeah. always the GP. And I think you'll find um, I find anyway. That um that the GP uh, is uh it, the, their first port of call in situations like this, uh, the, the kind of situations that we're describing, very often is a referral to um someone in my own line of work. Yeah, um, and it can be a com- combination of both. It can be the antidepressants that we started this slot with combined with th- talk therapy or it can be talk therapy on its own and exactly. it's, it's, it's whatever but, um, works the, for the young the, person. The, the, you hit the nail on the head there with the fact that um, I think it's well recognised that the combination of both is often the... Uh, you know, the gold standard uh, uh, treatment. Um, but uh, sometimes um, the talk therapy on its own um, can work out extremely well. OK. All right, we leave it there. Listen, have a great week and we'll chat you again next Tuesday, Joe. And the same. Thank you for that and Thank thanks uh, for joining us. That's Joe Heffernan who runs a counselling practice in Boer Boys. Number 029 We've got to leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul and Sadie for taking your calls. We're back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock for Wednesday's edition of the programme. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a very good afternoon and stay safe. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.